You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. We'll be starting in verse 24, but we're going to cover a little bit of what was before it. And uh, this is a little bit of a, an excursus away from where we have been in Romans 8. It's because we have been endeavoring in our largest and our most effective outreach that we do in this county, and that is Vacation Bible School. And while this year it has been in such a way that many of us could not participate in the normal way in which we would like to do so, many of you have still been able to participate, especially in the way of praying for the effectiveness of our efforts to reach people in this community. And I will say that your prayers have been answered in mighty ways. We have seen larger numbers than anyone in recent history can remember of people that are not associated with our churches, people that are not, that I know of some of them are not going to church at all anywhere for sure. And so we have seen the gospel go forth from our children's ministry under the leadership of Tracy Griggs and all the other volunteers. We've seen the gospel go forth in our community and even to other places because of having to go virtual. And so while it was something we were not looking forward to in some ways, God has already done great things in our midst. And so continue in your prayers as we seek to see what the Lord will do as he continues to work in the hearts of those who chimed in with us and who were impacted by our endeavors in that way. And today I carry on out the, to, to the fulfillment of that message series in VBS by looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 7. I will say that this is not going to be geared towards kids, but it will be for kids and for adults. Uh, this is a passage that is pretty heavy, actually. It's one that I think carries through the message. It was actually the one slotted for coverage on the last day of EBS if you did a full five days. And this is one that I think will be impacting for all of us. It's a passage that is a part of a larger part of the ending of a sermon from Jesus that is actually very, no better way to say it, it's, it's actually pretty scary in some ways. And it's one of those things where he, he brings things home in a way that gets us to thinking about stuff that we may not otherwise be thinking of. In fact, he does so in such a way when Jesus closes down his Sermon on the Mount, he does so in such a way that what we see here is starting in verse 13 through the end of the Sermon on the Mount, through the end of chapter 7, we actually see him leading us over and over again in different ways, pointing to the fact that there are many who will think that they are Christians, who will think that they are secure in their faith, who on the last day will be shocked and will find themselves under full wrath and judgment. And so this is a time that we need to be very aware of as we read this, that we're not only thinking about those outside of this place. In fact, there are many who profess to be Christians Right now, maybe some in our midst who are actually will spend eternity separated from the love and mercy of God under full condemnation. And so I want you to pray today for those who hear this and also for yourself that God would reveal where you are in that relationship. Let me give you some data that will help us put things in perspective. In 2010, the census that was taken by our government in the U.S., approximately 80% of the population of Etowah County, the county in which we live, 80% of the population professed to be Christians. That's a high number if you think about it. 80%. 
just to put that in perspective, an international mission board, when they find that a country or an area has reached 18% Christian, they begin to pull out because they believe the Christians there can then carry on the mission without the help of the international mission board. Okay, so that's a big statement to say that we're looking at professing Christians being 80% of the population. However, when you put that in the context of what churches self-report, we find that only about 30% of the population is in church on a regular basis on a Sunday morning in this county. Now, we all know churches report accurately, right? They never inflate those numbers for any reason. Take that and compare that again with what Barna found in 2009. They reported that approximately 65% of regular church attenders qualify as born again based off a very minimal standard of saying that they have at some point in time placed their hope and faith in Jesus and that they are following him and active in that now. 63% or 65% of regular churchgoers say that. So of that 30%, let's say 65% are actually born again. In 2015, Barna reported that among those who say they have made a personal commitment to Jesus, only 63% say they will go to heaven because they've confessed their sin and have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So there we are again, 63% of those in church qualify as what they call born again, but when asked how they get to heaven, only 63% of that 65% actually can say that's because they have faith in Jesus and have confessed their sin and believe in him. Other things they would say that they put their hope in would be that they can follow the Ten Commandments or that they are good people or that God is a loving God, so of course they'll go to heaven. So when you start looking into this more and more and more, the actual number of people that think they are Christians, far surpasses the number of people that probably are Christians in this county and probably around the world. As we see that talked about right here in Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus says in verse 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Put it in some different context, different language. When I say that there are many who profess they are Christians, but that we actually find few who actually live that out. So therefore, many who profess to be Christians will actually spend eternity separated from God under condemnation in hell. These are the people who believe they're saved because they might have prayed a prayer or they got baptized, but who are actually on their way to eternal wrath. They have evidences of that but are not living in relationship with God. They profess to love God but who are not known by God, who obey all the major commands of a religion maybe but do not have a real relationship with Jesus or who may, you might could say, practice American Christianity but not the Christianity of the Bible because about 50 to 100 years ago things started changing in Christianity here in, the, in America. And it became more and more what we might call easy believism. If you just pray a prayer and believe it in your heart when you say it that you're a Christian then, and people would declare that you're a Christian, even if there was no evidence of that that followed that out. Just because you said some kind of magical incantation, now you're a believer. And that's nowhere in the Bible. It does say that if you profess to believe in God and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you profess to love Jesus in that way, that you will be saved. But that's in the context of all of Scripture, which also includes things like Jesus saying to us, you must repent, turn away from sin, and turn to God. And that word for repent is repent now and continue in that repentance over and over and over, that all of life is repentance. 
So this passage we're going to look at here in verse 24 through 27, there are actually two types of people in this passage, and they appear to be the same in so many ways. Actually, verses 13 and on. Let's look real quick at verse 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. If you go back to verse 13 and 14, we see the the narrow gate we see the wide way. We see the narrow path. Here, talked about in verse 14, the gate is narrow, the way is hard. That word hard actually in the Greek points to a narrow, confining way that makes it hard to traverse. And so it's also saying in a similar way that the gate is narrow and the way is narrow and it's all difficult. And we see that it's also contrasted there with or compared with the way that is wide and the way that is easy, the way that leads to destruction, the way that leads to eternal life. We see that the people in verses 15 through 20 are talked about those who are wolves in sheep's clothing and those that have good fruit, those that have bad fruit. You see in verse 21 through 23, those who think they're Christians, those who really are Christians, those who hear only what God says and those who also do what God says. In verse 24 through 27, we see the the two guys that build houses probably about the same kind of house in that day and time. And one's built on the rock. And so when the storm comes, it stands. And the one that's built on the sand, when the storm comes, it's washed away. These two types of people, though, we like to think of as being so different in appearance, but really they both believe they're followers. They all believe they're followers. But one's going to suffer for eternity. One's going to enjoy God for all of eternity. One hears the words of Jesus and does them. The other does not but they think they do. The sad thing about self-deceit is that we don't realize we're doing it until something or someone interjects and opens our eyes to it. Do you realize there's no, there's no evident difference between Judas Iscariot and any of the other 11 disciples until the very end? You have to wonder, did Judas even think he believed all those things up until that point, even though he was the son of perdition? Look, we're going to look at some really hard stuff today, and I I want you to take it before the Lord, and I want you to seek the Lord and ask him to reveal to you. We are to examine ourselves in light of the scriptures. And there are many of us who have lost the way because we've heard that if you just believe And we think about that in a way that our heart really wants to believe something. But if there's no evidence of that, we see in Scripture that it is not true belief. That's a very dangerous thing to mentally assent to something yet not be fully a part of that truth, which means being in relationship with God just because you believe things about God. Look at verse 13 and Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What it's saying here is that there's one gate, it's a narrow gate, there's only one way, and we know what that way is, the way is Jesus. Jesus is the only way, and that way is hard. It is difficult. It is not easy. 
We have been teaching people, not just necessarily you in this room, but we as a generation or a couple of generations have been teaching people that it is easy to follow Christ, that he did all the work on the cross, therefore your life is easy once you believe in him. Now, he did everything for salvation, but this says here that the way is hard that leads to eternal life. The way to destruction is wide and easy, and many will go that way, but the way to eternal life is narrow and it's entry point through Jesus and Jesus alone, and the way is hard. Why would we think it's any different if we were actually being shaped into the image of Jesus when his life was anything but easy? We will suffer with him. It is hard. It is a sacrifice. Any relationship in, that is healthy involves sacrifice. It involves hardship. But the rewards are great because you see that a Savior who gave his life for you now wants you to be with him forever. And so therefore we give our lives in return to him. But it is hard. It involves sacrifice. In other words, if you feel like things are going pretty smooth and you've not had to sacrifice too much lately, maybe you need to take an account of where you are in that relationship. Maybe you're not tuning in to how God wants to shape you and change you because he loves you too much to leave you where you were. And if it's too easy, then maybe you've strewn off the path. Or maybe we were never on it. Here's another part of it. Not only is he the only way, not only is the way hard, but Jesus saves you to change you. And he's always successful. Always. He's the king of the universe. What he decrees will happen. And he saved you to change you into the perfect you he created you to be, but whom sin has derailed and broken. Look at verses 15 through 20 to get a picture of this. He says here, beware of false prophets. It's a command, beware of false prophets. Now we're talking about false prophets, but the truth of the evidences are true for us as well. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. He ends it with the same statement in a minute to know that that's what he's sandwiching. That's what he's trying to say here. You can recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Basically what he's saying here about these false teachers and ultimately about us is that regeneration, you're being born again, you're being made alive, you're coming to faith, you're being made into a Christian, a new creation, it always begets sanctification or it means it always makes you into the person God wants you to be. Over time you become more and more like Jesus. There is no salvation without holiness. There is no being saved without being changed. It does not compute. Why would he take a heart of stone out of you and put a heart of flesh in you and place his Holy Spirit in you if he did not want you to be different? He made you different in the beginning of your salvation if you're saved. Salvation is always evidenced by growth and holiness. And if you are a new creation in Christ, you will bear new fruit in keeping with repentance. It will happen. The king of the universe cannot fail cannot fail. But the question is, what are we building our faith on? What are we building our lives on? Is it truly Jesus or is it on the things we get and we think we want from salvation, but not the one by whom our salvation has been secured? 
Eternal life is not just about being saved, it's about being saved unto him. It's about being in his presence, enjoying him every day. It's about enjoying him for the rest of our lives, not just about getting out of hell. And the scariest parts of this passage, before we get into the part that our VBS story was pointing to, verse 21 through 23, he then says right after following this up about You'll recognize them by their fruits. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's an emphatic statement, Lord, Lord, saying that he, you, you think you know him. You think you are, are, are in relationship with him. You, you think that you've been serving him. In fact, he goes on, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's the contrast. Not just by saying that you know him, but the one who does the will of the Father. He says, on that day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That is frightening. This person is sure He knows them. He is sure that Jesus is his Lord. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Look, words can be deceiving. James makes that clear. He says in chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I learned this in seminary. You can sit in seminary classes for a long time and learn a lot about God and not be any closer to God. It is hard work to be closer to God and grow closer to God in seminary than I possibly could have imagined. You're so consumed with learning truth about someone that you don't spend time with someone if you're not careful. The same in our own lives. We can come to church, we can gather, we can listen to sermons, we can read books, we can listen to podcasts, we can, we can take in music and learn theology from songs, which isn't a great idea all the time, by the way, right? And we can then try to worship a God in those moments and feel the ecstatic kind of encouraging energy out of that and never really be in relationship with him. I can sing about my wife and learn things about my wife and never spend time with my wife. In a real way. He goes on in James 2.20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Because the argument is, we're talking about works now. You mean I have to work to be saved? No. You are saved by Jesus Christ dying in your place on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's how we're saved. But if you are saved, it will be evidenced with works, fruit of righteousness that will come from you. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You remember this? Abraham said, hey, this is your one and only son. I give you this gift. He gave me. He said, now go sacrifice him. If Abraham had said no, that would have shown he had no faith. But instead, he goes to sacrifice his son. We can't even fathom this. And while he's at the altar, his son on the altar, and he raises the knife, the Lord stops him and provides another sacrifice, pointing to the sacrifice he would eventually give for all of us whose name is Jesus. But it's because he responded in his faith to live out that faith by the works that we see here then 
You see, the faith was active along with his works, it says in verse 22. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Listen, it's not enough to call him Lord or simply to listen to his teaching. We must listen to his words and then do them if we are to enter the kingdom. Matthew Henry, you know this guy, right? One of the Puritans. Most of us that have any kind of commentaries on the shelf probably have a Matthew Henry commentary. I used to think he was so simple. Now I realize that I was so arrogant. He says, if we comply not with the will of God, we mock Christ by calling him Lord. Just as those did who put on him a gorgeous robe and said, hail, king of the Jews. You see? We are no different than those who beat and flogged and crucified him and mocked him in those moments if we call him Lord and yet do not comply with his will. There's no difference. Jesus said, repent and believe. Turn from your sins, turn to me and believe. Repent now, keep on repenting and believe and keep on believing. That's the implication of how he said it. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite old dead guys, he says, the true believer does not content himself with listening to exhortations to repent, to believe in Christ, to listen to, to those things and to live a holy life. He actually repents. He actually believes. He actually ceases to do evil, learns to do well, abhors that which is sinful, and cleaves to that which is good. He is a doer as well as a hearer. Looking at these verses here in verse 21 through 23, the greatest question, I think, when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, in verse 23 is, not do you say you know God, but does he know you because you spent time with him, because he knows you? Just because you confess that you know God does not mean he will confess to knowing you. We've all done that, right? You've gone somewhere where you like talk to somebody that's kind of famous and you talk to them like you know them and they're kind of weirded out by it. You ever been there before? Anybody? Just me, the only one. Makes you feel really awkward. They're like, I don't, I don't know you, but hi. You know, one of those kind of things. It's amazing how we can self-deceive. We think we know someone because we see them from afar when really we're not in relationship with them. Just because you know the truth about Jesus doesn't mean you know Jesus, nor does it mean that he knows you. You cannot meet the creator of the universe, by the way, who created all things, then recognize the depth of your sin and then receive his unmerited salvation through the sacrifice of his glorious, worthy, invaluable son and then remain unchanged. It is impossible. You do not meet the creator of the universe in a real relational way and then go back to the norm. You are different. We will of course, fall at times, but that's when God loves you so much that he does not leave you there and he comes back and gets you and pulls you up by your bootstraps. You don't, he does. And then he carries you on until he then has you back on his way. And he will stay after you until he gets you back into his way. He will not let you go. No one, even you, can take yourself out of his hand when you were his. I know this to be true because I lived in high school like I was a Christian for many of those years, for at least three and a half of those years. I lived like I was a Christian because I prayed a prayer and been baptized three times, no less. And I even shared Jesus with people. I talked about things about Jesus with people, but I never really knew him. 
You can do all the religious stuff and not know him. I was never truly changed because then I lived a life of full of regret and full of sin without decision about consequence that would make me want to come back. Nothing in me cared anymore, which was an evidence that I wasn't really his in the first place. So do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived, but build your life on the solid rock who is Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day of repentance. Today and every day is a day of repentance and salvation. Do not be deceived. We are all building our lives on something, but are we truly building our lives on Jesus and his gospel? Let us not be wise in our own eyes, but let us be wise in the eyes of the Lord. Look at this, verse 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You hear that? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Which words is he talking about? Everything in the whole sermon. Chapter 5 through chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. Specifically going back at least to verse 13 here. Entering by the narrow gate, walking on the hard and narrow way, showing good fruit, not bad fruit, Not only saying, Lord, Lord, but also doing the will of the Father. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. You see, the Sea of Galilee, it's interesting to note this, in the summer months, the sand would bake so hard that it would feel like it's hard earth. And so you could, therefore, build your house on that sand, not knowing that when that season is over or when the storms come, that that sand's going to give way. And so those who did it right would dig down to get to the hard foundation of solid rock and then build up from there. It was harder work. It wasn't easy. It took more time. It cost more. But to say this, something that costs little is worth little. If it didn't cost a lot, God wouldn't have sent his son to die on the cross for it, one who's worth more than all of creation. So why would we think it would not cost us much as well? So are we building it like this? We see that the rains then fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. J.C. Ryle says that the man who hears Christian teaching and never gets beyond hearing is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Listen to this, though. It goes a little further. He satisfies himself with listening and even approving, but he goes no further. He flatters himself, perhaps, that all is right with his soul because he has feelings and convictions and desires of a spiritual kind. In these he rests. He never really breaks off from that sin or casts aside the spirit of the world. He never really lays hold of Christ. He never really takes up the cross. He's a hearer of truth, but nothing more. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Our Lord's chief concern in this picture is to warn us against the danger of seeking and desiring only the benefits and the blessings of salvation and resting upon our apparent possession of them. 
many people talk about this, and they'll talk about the storms of life. It's talking about when, when, when sickness comes, when death comes, when depression comes, when you lose your job, when you're persecuted. The storms of life are going to come. If you're based on the solid rock, you will not fall. I don't think that's necessarily true because I see people that are basing their life on Christ that are way holier than me, who sometimes I see great falls in them, and they bottom out. If you take it in the context of everything that's been being talked about, look at verse 13 and 14 again, right? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. He's talking about eternity. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life. There are a few who find it. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Talking about eternal fire, judgment. Or verse 21 through 23, he says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's the day of judgment, right? And so here again, keeping in the context, what he's really talking about is not just the storms of life, which might reveal our relationship with God, because when you go through them, if you don't rely on him, if you don't find your hope in him, then that can be very revealing. But it is certain that the storm of God's wrath that will come down on everyone who does not believe will then reveal whether or not we have a saving relationship with him. But then it will be too late. Listen, some of you, like me, put my hope on what some evangelist or what some preacher or some Sunday school teacher told you to do by saying, hey, pray this prayer, write down the date, put it in the back of your Bible, and then when the devil comes a-knocking, you just turn to that page and say, no, no, look, see, I got saved on August 22nd, 1984. Right? That's it. Nowhere in the Bible do we see evidence of that. He says, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Are you still walking with God? Do you see evidence, fruit of your salvation? Do you see life change happening in you now? Do we see those things? Let us not be betrayed by faith in a man's word about our faith. But let us put our hope in the Savior of the universe who declares what salvation is. And let us build our life upon the rock, the solid rock who is Jesus. Let us have the full assurance that can only come from God, not from what someone else tells us. Listen, it is never our place to tell someone that they are saved. That's God's place to tell them that. People, and I, I, it was me, and I've seen so many that have grown up hearing that they were saved to think that they could do whatever they want to do and never truly be with the Lord. That's not our place. Our place is to tell them about Jesus, to tell them how to get to Jesus, to tell them to repent and believe in Jesus and let the Lord do the work. He alone can save. He alone can declare to them in their heart that they are saved. So let us seek him out now, brothers and sisters. But let not one of us pretend and think for a moment that we are beyond this. Let us ask him to search our hearts. Let us ask him to search our souls to reveal if we truly are his. And what if the creator and sustainer of the universe is calling out to you now, but you are turning an ear because you feel like you've already been there. You're already okay. But maybe you're not. Don't declare to self. Let him declare to you. Cry out to the Lord. Ask him to reveal to you who is the only solid rock 
that if you really have all your hope and all your faith in the sure and solid rock who is Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our sacrifice, we sing a song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You need Jesus just as much right now as the first day you met him. Let us lean into him now. If you've come to faith this week, put your hope in Jesus again today. You're not being saved again, but if you are saved, you will hope and trust in Jesus. He is your strength. We are not strong. We are weak. I fail. I doubt. I struggle. He never does. He is the sure and steady rock upon which we can build our home. He is the one who secures us. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Your works, sinking sand. Your knowledge, sinking sand. Your ability to exegete scripture, sinking sand. Your ability to wax theological, sinking sand. Your ability to mark off how many times you go to church every week, sinking sand. Your ability to work hard and do better than everybody else around you, sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, only can we stand. So let us put our hope in Jesus. Listen, most people who have professed belief in Jesus, if they have been deceived, if they've self-deceived, they find it out when they die. Lord, let it not be for anyone in this room. Let it not be for anyone watching this right now. Let it not be for anyone that way. What a dreadful discovery it must be in the moments of your last breath leaping from your body that you realize you deceived yourself into believing you were his, that you were blind and you could not see. So let us pray even now and ask God to reveal to us our situation with him. You can pray for someone else, but pray right now that God would reveal it to you right now. I will pray for us. You echo this prayer as we go, if it is your prayer. Lord, show me the reality. Show me the reality of my situation in regard to relationship with or without you. If my profession has been false and in vain and built upon the sand, please do not allow me to reside any longer in that house of condemnation. But lead me to the cross where I can build my house on the solid rock of Jesus. Lord, please make your truth known to us all and lead us all to the Savior, your Son, Jesus the sure and solid rock, the only redeemer, our only sacrifice, our only brother who came to save us from our sins. Let us place our hope on him. Let us be built up upon him. Let us build our lives, every moment of our lives, everything we do, everything we give to, everything we sacrifice for. Let it be built upon Jesus and our confession that he is the king, that he is the savior, that he alone is the one who can bring us to be with you forever. Lord, Father, please make that real and right and let us know where we stand with you that you might receive the glory, that we might receive joy in Jesus, and that we might be with you forever. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.